Welcome to the Inclusive Activism Podcast. I am very, very excited to have Dr. Diane Tolton here online with us. Uh, and we're going to be able to have the opportunity to talk, share a little bit of our ideas on inclusive activism. How can we be better? How can we advocate for one another um, in different ways and spaces? And so I'm really pleased to have her here as part of the podcast. So rather than me run down the things that I have seen about her online, I'd rather have her have the opportunity to introduce herself to you all as my audience. So do you want to uh, give folks a little bit of your background? Where are you from? Um, what got you into this work? How long have you been doing this work? Uh, if you want to share that information, we'd love it. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me, Rowdy. So again, it's actually Dion Fulton, but that's Dion, totally fine. I appreciate <laughs> the correction. Um, I've, I've had, I've heard worse. Um, so I got into diversity work uh, officially uh, probably the last 15, 20 years, about well, 15 years, but I've been okay. doing this pretty much my entire life. I grew up in a family that was very um, open to diversity. My parents were very active in diversity and politics in Toronto, Canada. And so I, I basically was raised with people of different, uh, different nationalities, races coming in and out of my house my entire life. So I had an, uh, an informal education for my parents just growing up and I officially decided to go in this direction. Well, actually I was, this, this actually chose me. I didn't choose it. I started right. off as a health and PE teacher, and uh, just by my experiences teaching PE um, and also special education with black boys, I had an experience mm -hmm. in that school that uh, just made me become aware of the fact that biases exist, um, yeah. especially in education. And so that led me to do some research. And so I went on to um, create a workshop called Think You're an Unbiased Teacher Think Again back in 2004. And then later went on to UGA and did my PhD in the area, and they allowed me to use my to use my workshop as a research base. So I've been doing this officially when I started my business some time ago. But I'm a lifelong learner and mm -hmm. um, advocate for diversity for sure. Great. So yeah, your background with uh, black boys in special ed. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of the things that you saw and noticed. Uh, that's one of those things until you're in those spaces and you know kind of what happens or you don't see, you know, not a lot of folks are in those spaces or in those classrooms, but the overcorrection, the overobservation that happens there. Uh, I'd love for you to share a little bit more about what you were seeing and experiencing. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So it was, it was very interesting because in special education, unlike say the traditional, the traditional classroom where it's, it's, it's arranged by, you know, what well, it's changed now, but before it used to be basic, um, general and advanced classes, mm -hmm. but in special education, everyone's kind of clumped together in one, in one kind of classroom. So, so I, so on one, I can, I can be, I can be dealing with behavior with one person or I can be dealing with a, a disability with another person. So it was actually very multifaceted, but mm -hmm. I did find that there was a disproportionate number of black males in my classes. Mm -hmm. Um, two, two people stuck out. One um, student I had, he was in grade 11. And if you can think about the, the very small muscles at the tips of your fingers and, and you know, those Cheerios commercials where they have kids pick up the Cheerios, there's actually, there's actually some um, evidence to support that, that that's important because this, this man in, in grade 11, who was six feet tall, could not hold a pencil because oh, he didn't have the, 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 the dexterity that he learned from just by picking up small things as he was when he was a child so yeah. that was a, a lot of um work we had to work with work on just to hold a pencil let alone get get to writing mm -hmm. and um another um thing that kind of stood out with me was um i was in a class 
and I had recently become engaged. And this black male said to me, "Oh, Miss, because I was I was actually I was pretty open with the kids, and I wasn't I wasn't um, lenient, but I was mm-hmm. allowed them to. I, I, I just kind of got on their level and was able to kind of just really, really engage them and get to know them as people, which mm-hmm. I think is important in teaching. So one day uh, when I became engaged, a student came to me, Miss, Miss, you know, I, I heard you got engaged, and he goes, he said to me, he goes, I'll bet you your husband is white or your fiance is white, and I said. <laughs> I said, huh? I said, now why would you say that? He looked at me and he said, oh, you know, because you're a strong black woman and, and you're, you're successful and da da da, and you're a teacher. So I looked at him and I said, I said, do you know what you just revealed to me? Mm-hmm. He goes, what, Miss? What, Miss? And I said, you just showed me how you think about yourself. Mm-hmm. You just told me, you just informed me that as a black man, you don't think you're good enough to be with a strong black woman. Mm. And, and it was a very instructive um, conversation. Like he, he respected me and I gave him mutual, mutual respect, but we had a, a deep conversation. And that really, really led me to understand the psyche of the classroom dynamics and mm-hmm. the fact that it's not necessarily about the race of the teacher. It is important to see, to, to see your, 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 your type of person, so to speak, mm-hmm. teaching from the classroom, but it's also getting to the heart of, of the students and finding out what their perceptions are. Because even though I was of the same race, he, uh, he saw me as an other because I was, the, I was on the other side of the desk and mm. I was successful. So so his perceptions, uh, he had a, defi- a deficit perception. So was, that was a very, th- that that time teaching uh, high school was, it was invaluable and, and really, really put me on this path to where I am. Yeah, that's really fascinating stuff. It's so interesting. In any, I always find in any large institution, that's where the ism comes out biggest and hardest because it's such a system already. And so the signs and symptoms of that system are so obvious and evident. And that poor, um, you know, the young man that you're talking about, like having that already ingrained that internalized oppression of seeing themselves as like less than or that you're not connectable given your like power distance. Um, it's really like sad to see and notice those things. What are you trying to do to uh, reframe uh, the conversation away from deficit to these folks being resilient, having uh, diversity as a strength. Like, what do you try to do when you have conversations to reframe those folks that have been left behind by institutions? Well, I'm I'm a very straightforward, candid person. So even when I was teaching, um, this is back in like the the, the late mid to late nineties, in, in in K through twelve, I should say, I was just very straightforward, and and I don't know how to be anything else. And there were times where I had like shut the door and say, "What are you talking about? Sit down and let's talk." And I'll, yeah. and I'll be very candid with them and say, "You know what? You you you're as good as anybody else." And I don't know what you've been taught at home or who's been trying to tell you you're not, I said, you're great. And and to this day, I always, always pour into people when I see them. I like mm-hmm. to leave them with a, a kind word, uh, um, some kind of compliment. But I have to say, um, Rowdy, that um, you know, it's funny, just a few days ago, I was at a restaurant with, with my um, with my daughters because mm-hmm. I have a I have a soft spot. I have an, an affinity to um, Two black boys, in particular, because of that experience that I had with them. So when I, so when I'm in a restaurant, for example, I was a couple of days ago with my with my kids, and I see a a, a a black boy or a young black man who's 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 doing good and who's who's working hard. I I like the tip very well and say, you know what, you're doing a great job. I asked where he was going. He said he's going North Northeastern University. We, I engage him, and I really really think it's important to keep the conversation and to and to to let people know uh, or to let to let them know that um. The encouragement is coming not just from your, your 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 little family or your small family or your your small community. It's coming from everybody, and and I like to be, I like to to try and and, and pour into people every time I see them. That's great. Yeah, I think um, one of the hardest things about 
observing, not experiencing, right? But the phenomenon of blackness is to be seen or to be observed so much all the time. But the other part of it that's just such a challenge is it's always in a way of critique or of looking for the wrong thing and not looking for the right thing. So that experience uh -huh. has to just be so difficult because whenever that observation is happening, it's not an observation to look for compliment. It's always an observation for what's wrong, um, where's the deficit, where's the less than. So I really love that you're like seeing folks and being able to notice like the best of them. Um, and I really wish institutions and systems could do that a lot more. I absolutely agree with that as well, and and um, and I think that's where the the hiring practices come in, and making mm -hmm. sure that these institutions, businesses are hiring the right people. And and I will say, um, in addition to just the experience with teaching the black boys, I'm also a black woman, um, mm -hmm. who happens to be highly educated, and yet it depends. It, it, actually, sometimes I'm I'm dressed well, and <laughs> I'm still treat I'm still mistreated, and I know it's about race. So, so that's my experience, and so that's why I try to just just make sure that I'm 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 planting positive seeds. And um, even when someone mistreats me in public, I you know I'll address it, but I'll mm -hmm. let them leave, not thinking that I'm this like horrible person or I, I've I've lost it. I will put you in your place. I used to, like I used the word, word, word fix you. I will fix you yeah. <laughs> in a very right. positive manner that would that would leave you kind of huh? I'm I'm surprised as yeah. opposed to angry because if I if I get if I get angry. It doesn't it doesn't cause anything to, to change and that person will not um that person will just dismiss it and say oh she's just angry but if i just if i'm very positive um and i'm stern i use my words and art and articulate then they will get it well that's what's so hard too is that that phenomenon of blackness is that you don't get to you don't get to be angry right whenever you're angry you fall into the stereotype of angry black woman and you become unhearable you know the Absolutely. fact that that uh, your emotions are limited in that way because of this angry black woman stereotype. It's just got to be so frustrating. That so, is very true. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your group, the work that you do, um, some of the work that you've done in the past. Uh, I'd be, I'd love to hear about it. So um, I uh, own the, the business called Pulton Consulting Group, mm -hmm. and um, it started off, of course, in education. And um, and again at UGA, I did my research on unconscious biases in the classroom. And when I graduated, I adapted um, my work to be inclusive of businesses. So I actually work now with just schools, um, K through 12 schools, um, higher education, and also businesses, Fortune 500 businesses. And um, I go in there and um, because of my research experience, I, I, I often go in and um, help in terms of evaluating situations. I'm often called for two reasons, either to clean up, so to speak, after they've been sued and they have to implement new policies and have to, they have to change their, their culture or I'm called Those in fun. <laughs> the cleanup <laughs> jobs. Like people are oh, like, yeah. you love what you do. And you're like, ah, so, you know, I'm glad I can make a difference. But like when you come in after someone's sued, that no, those jobs are so not fun. <laughs> well, you, you know, they're definitely interesting, but I, I yes. have to tell you, I, I do enjoy it. I, I just, I enjoy the nuances. I enjoy yeah. learning about um, the issues that brought brought the brought um the people to where they are and there's always that power dynamic is incredible it's it's mm -hmm. people don't realize that oftentimes uh and i'm not trying to minimize lawsuits but yeah. a lot of managers and leaders don't understand that when you abuse your power that mm -hmm. can be misconstrued as something more than what it is 
And um, so, so it's, it's very fascinating. And, and inevitably, um, what I see is when I go in and, and address those kind of issues, it's always some manager who thinks he or she has, you know, just the, the will to do whatever they want, to treat anybody the way they want. And unfortunately, you know, if they do it to somebody who is a woman or of color and they say the wrong thing, they're in trouble. And yeah. the institution mm -hmm. is, in, is in trouble. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I want to let you finish your thought. I just want to interject about that other idea. So you'd mentioned that you come in uh, when there's lawsuits and you were going to finish another thought. Yes, thank you. And so, yeah. and so, or it's, or it's right before something's about to happen. So mm -hmm. unfortunately, and I'm sure you know this as well, a lot of leaders, they choose to just kind of ignore things. They're, they're not because they don't care, but because a lot of leaders are not equipped. They're not taught how to deal with conflict and how to deal with issues. So rather than addressing them, they let them kind of build up and fester. And so mm -hmm. oftentimes I'm, I'm brought in at that moment when something is going haywire and it's like, okay, I got to do something now or I'm going to be sued. So, mm -hmm. it's, so it's, it's very interesting. So at that point I help with the leadership aspect of the, of the business and, and also how do you change cultures? How do you get people on board? Because oftentimes people don't realize that the leader, like it's, it's like our bodies. Our, mm -hmm. our body does not do anything unless our head knows. Mm -hmm. And then that can be translated into any, any, into any work environment. If the head is, is functioning a certain way and it's not, and, and not being respectful and not, not setting good, good, good um, behaviors and model, modeling good behaviors, then inevitably the whole environment will be that toxic. And yeah. so sometimes it means the head has to be removed. The head has to get some kind of executive training, has to adjust, has to adapt or they're out. And we've seen that over and over again. We've seen many cases of that. Yeah. So tell me um, if you can think about it and I'll talk so you have a second to, to consider. Tell us a story you know, protecting the, the, the names to you know, protect the innocent. But tell us about a time where you've come in and done some work and you feel like you've done some really transformational opportunities. So it could be where you're uh, a really bad situation where you came in and then over time you developed a relationship and you saw a lot of progress. Or it could be, um, you know, just a time where uh, over time a relationship improved or maybe that you came in and, uh, you know, it was maybe one of those situations where the heart was not in sync with the head and you were just able to connect the two and there was some wild success that happened afterwards. But I'd love to hear, uh, and the audience to hear about uh, opportunity where you have to come in and just see some amazing successes. Okay, now that's going to be very tough. <laughs> with that, with that, <laughs> of course, keep, of course. Um, give, giving details. Can I, can I just give um, uh, more of like a helicopter kind of approach? Of course, yeah, okay? as w yeah. whatever way you see fit, of course. Well, pretty much, you know, my, my approach is to, to these kind of this kind of these, these people uh, who, who are struggling. It's a matter of just figuring out, OK, just first of all, meet them where they are and mm -hmm. find out who they are, what their background is. Because a lot of times, as you know, uh, we, we're just a product of, of our environment. We're a product of how we are raised. We're a product of, of what we've been exposed to and what we have not been exposed to. And so that in turn, it plays out in, in, our, in our relationships. And so, um, you know, in my research, I talked about primary socialization and secondary socialization. So primary refers to the to the home, which is like the, the parents, the guardians, you know, the, the adoptive parents, whomever. And then in that small circle, you're taught about um, values, you're talking about principles, you're, talked about, you, you're taught about race, you're talking about whether informally or not, you're talked about all these different things, um, gender and gender roles. And then when you move out of that small space of the, of the family, you then go into, you then go into the secondary socialization, which is the workplace or traveling or, or other experiences. And sometimes, or a lot of times, that secondary experience is in conflict with the first primary experience that you've had. 
And then so you're left to kind of just kind of figure out, okay, what am I doing here? I'm, and you're wrestling. And so what I've seen to answer your question is a lot of times there, that people have a kind of a, a protective, there's a protection aspect to this because sometimes if, if, you, if, if you're exposed in a secondary manner and your primary socialization is tied to your parents or, or your guardians and, you're, and, you're, and it's being challenged, then oftentimes people believe that if I'm challenging how I was raised, then I'm challenging my parents. And in turn, I am I am I am criticizing my parents. But that's not the case. A lot of times it's it's figuring out, okay, what's what's what has gone on, what have they been taught taught, whether formally or informally. And I will share, for example, I did a workshop in in the South, I think it was South Carolina, North Carolina, one of those, one of those Carolinas. Mm-hmm. And a lady came in. And she clearly was just, you could tell she's there because she had to be there. It was a teacher. And um, I had, I was facilitating my workshop and she came in, sat at the back of the class and had her arms crossed the entire time or in the, sorry, in the beginning, I should say, and just was not engaging. You know, you look, you look over at her and she looks, she looks away. It's just, you can just, you can just tell, you know, you can take the, you can take the pulse of people while you, while you're instructing. Right. So, so as time went on, I did, I did the, I did the um, presentation and, and one thing that I think that does make a difference in those types of trainings is that I always share a time where I have made, where I've messed up. And so people see that if I've messed up as a black woman who's supposed mm-hmm. to be the expert in this area, then, then that, that kind of lets people feel comfortable sharing where they've gone wrong. So this particular woman, she came in and, and was just very cold. And by the end of it, Rowdy, I'll tell you, she came up to me and she, she was in tears, like wow. literally crying and said, thank you so much. I, I, I really enjoyed this. And then, and then she actually shared with me that uh, she was married to a skinhead, oh, wow. and oh, wow. and she was experiencing a lot of conflict because uh, go back to primary and secondary. So she grew up, you know, basically thinking about white white supremacy, and she married a man who who was a white supremacist. But then she was teaching with diverse kids, and mm-hmm. so you're teaching diverse children, and you start you're starting to get exposed to those children who were who are black and brown and 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 different than you and of color. And then, which means you have to also associate with their parents. And those relationships are now in conflict with what you supposedly know and what, you, what, what you've known through your marriage and so on. So, so she shared with me that uh, it was creating a lot of conflict in her family and in her, with, her, with her marriage. And in particular, uh, she also shared that her, her um, children, whenever they went to her mother-in-law's, her husband's, her husband's mother, uh, the kids would come back with, with all these like racial slurs and all these like really closed-minded comments. And she asked me, she asked my thoughts on what she should do because she realized it was wrong and she didn't want to um, indoctrinate her kids the same way that she was. She wanted her kids to, to be raised more open. And so ultimately she informed me that she had to leave her marriage and she actually stopped sending the kids to the grandmother because she told the grandmother, you know what, either you, you have to stop um, saying those things to, to, to the children or they can't go anymore. That's amazing. I love getting to hear about that just because of the fact that uh, someone, she was clearly in pain, right? Like crossed her arms back there, feeling like she doesn't connect, belong in particular, and just sitting there through that. But the technique that you use as far as like critiquing yourself first, showing that we're all in the process is something that I'm a big proponent of as well. I really feel like it helps lowers defensiveness, but uh, mm-hmm. the fact that you're able to do that and create that powerful transformational moment and it's so hard because you know she comes up to you <laughs> and is like what do i do and you're like well you're, you know right you're like well you're gonna have to get a divorce <laughs> right you, you know is <laughs> what you have to tell her but you can't say that oh um, no <laughs> right but you're like well 
you know, you're in a good space. You're really, really evaluating things. And the fact that you're kind of fighting through some of that stuff is the right place to be. And, um, you know, you have to walk that journey for yourself and find out what the right for you is. But um, just to be in a space where you can transform that life, um, because, you know, if skinhead ideologies in the home, that's affecting her because just you know, there's going to be um, patriarchy stuff that's holding her down in really repressive ways, her and her kids. So, you know, um, those things don't come alone. All these other thoughts come in a different ways. So not only Absolutely. did you transform her life, the life of her kids, uh, and then all the students that she'll forever see after that, you know, well, that's really transformational. So thank you for sharing. That's wonderful. Um, so tell me a little bit about your show. You have uh, your show. Um, what is that about? What do you focus on? What do you all like to talk about? Um, I want to make sure that my audience has the ability to hear more about you and your show and what you do. Oh, thank you so much. Of so my, my focus um, of the show is, is similar to yours. It's, it's it focuses on diversity and inclusion in the workshop and also in, in the workshop and beyond. I talk about leadership issues. I talk about topical issues. So to date, I've had police chief on talking about the shootings of unarmed black men. I've had two different come on for that. I've had uh, um, a prosecutor and an undercover uh, GBI agent talked about human sex trafficking and, and having a huge raid in, in actually in Georgia. Mm-hmm. I've also talked about women in finance and, and especially looking at um, how they function after death and divorce. So that, yeah. that was actually a show because, you know, sometimes people, uh, you know, you, you, you think your life's going one way and, and you, lose, you lose a spouse either through, di- through death or divorce and you're left in poverty. The majority of women who lose their spouses are often end up in poverty and the kids also mm-hmm. end up help- hurting inevitably as well so uh what else i've talked about i've talked about it i had it recently i talked to actually one of my dear friends who played in the nba he's 610 mm-hmm. and so we talked about we talked about height bias yeah. and what it's like to, what it's like to move through the through the world that that tall and 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 how people encounter him and what they say to him and so it I, so it really really runs the gamut uh the goal is to is to highlight people who are doing different professions but also kind of find a really cool way to talk about their topic and mm-hmm. to make sure that it's 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 uh, it's informative and entertaining at the same time. That's fascinating. Yeah, I, I love my podcast too um, because it gives you the uh, ability to look at things in different ways, talk to different people. Um, it's almost like practice. You know, uh, you get to explore those topics that uh, you want to learn more about, or uh, you can like help shine more light on in different ways. Uh, so the fact that you're doing that work in that space is really wonderful. And, um, you know, for my own listeners, uh, we've talked uh, offline already about me being on uh, your show. So that's something that we can look forward to uh, with your audience as well. Uh, so I'm really excited about that, too. I am uh, very excited about that, too. Thank you. Of course. So I wanted to, to take a second and uh, share. So diversity has so many backgrounds, uh, areas, influence. Is there an area in particular where you feel like you're particularly gifted, where you have the ability to maybe push people in a way that like maybe you don't see others a little bit more? Is an is there um, a tool in your diversity tool bag? Like it could be maybe about meritocracy, whiteness, fragility. Uh, there's so many issues when we talk about these things where you feel like you have a particular uh, skill where you might um, be just kind of gifted given your background, your experiences, what you've learned as far as uh, the ability to communicate something with a degree of uh, specialness. Oh, well, thank you. So I, I unconscious bias for sure is, um, is, is my specialty. And actually, you know, and um, not to toot my own horn, but I will. Yeah, <laughs> I, I came sure. up with that. I, 
came up with my bias workshop in 2004. And and as you know, it's now 2018 and it's supposed to, it's now the, the buzzword. Meanwhile, I, I yeah. created something way back when, uh, just because I, I noticed um, it was situational. As you know, I, as I shared, I, I had experience in teaching and, and that led me to this area. So so definitely I've been practicing uh, my, my knowledge and my skills and my teachings of unconscious bias for, for many, well over a decade now. So definitely I, I, I have expertise in that. But I think overall, I think because I I have a, an ability to always be remain kind of neutral and to to see both sides and to, to and to not judge as opposed to my, my goal is to understand, not to judge you. And so I think that in turn makes people feel comfortable. And and um, oftentimes I'll talk to people and uh, they disclose things that they don't they didn't even intend to, to intend to disclose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's because I, I think it's because of my approach. And so it, and it's, it's funny, Rowdy, there are times where I'm I could be in a, a clothing store and, I, and I've had people come up to me and just say, OK, like one man came up to me recently in Coles. He said, he said, so which earrings do you like this one or that one? Mm-hmm. And I said, I said, and this is older, an older white man. I said, oh, I like these ones. And I go, I go, I go oh, what's the occasion? And then he went into this whole thing that that um, he and his, his wife both married before, they both lost their spouses, they reunited, and they're going on, on a vacation. And he wanted to surprise her with some earrings. And it was just like, it was the most beautiful thing. It took about, we took about, for, about 40 minutes on, on inside the store. But, it, but, but I just, I love those encounters. I love just being open to people and just hearing their stories. It's, it's, it's so fascinating. It's so fascinating. Yeah, human connection when it happens like that is just, it's amazing. You know, it's it's funny because when you work in our field, you can really see and I mean, you see problems all the time over and over and over, and over again, sadly. But it's nice because the other part of the work that we get to do is we get to see the power of what human connection looks like when it happens at its best, too. It's funny because people will look at us and they're like, how can you possibly do this stuff? And I'm like, well, we do get some amazing soaring heights from time to time, too. Uh, so being able to share those experiences and talk about those wins and know that, um, you know, it's just a, it's just a thing that we were taught or picked up through, like you said, socialization specifically, you know, we see and read these cues and we don't have, um, I was just reading an article that, uh, a journal article that was talking about how, uh, because we don't talk about race, racism, classism, uh, patriarchy at a young age, that stuff is really getting picked up and grounded at a very, very young age. And because we ignore these things, because we don't want to recognize the reality they exist, it keeps perpetuating that stuff. So the fact that we're having these conversations makes such a difference and I'm glad to hear it. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And, and, and in in turn with my children, I'm, I'm very, my children are 14 and, and, um, and 12. And, um, I've been just, you know, of course you, you, you give them information that is, that is, um, age specific and, and, and obviously not overly crazy that they get scared, but I definitely have been open from day one with them about mm-hmm. what to expect, how you should treat people, be inclusive, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, if someone's at, at school and, and they're in the, and they're in, and they're in the, the cafeteria by themselves, you invite them to come over with you. I don't believe in cliques. I don't believe in those types of things. And it's important to do that in the home. You need to, people need to do that in the home and, and, and make a, a, a conscious effort to do so. Not just think it's going to happen by osmosis. You have to actually sit down and talk to your kids about what's happening. And, and, the, and the values that you have. Otherwise, they're not, but they're not going to learn them necessarily. Right. So the next thing I want to ask you about is, um, again, like looking at your tool bag, all the things that you do, uh, isn't there an area where you're still growing or you're still involving your technique with something specifically? Um, and I don't want to have you feel too on the spot, so I'll share one of the ones that I'm still working on. Um, sure. 
there's a lot of different thoughts about it. And so this is just my take. It's not necessarily the right or correct take. It's just my personal view. When one of the things I'm still working on is trying to find uh, better arguments in pushing against the idea of the notion of like reclaiming language. Whenever I'm in spaces and folks talk, talk about like re trying to reclaim words or reframe words, um, I'm a communication scholar. That's really my background. And so um, when, I when I hear folks talking about reclaiming the N-word or when I hear folks talk about um, like queer or uh, faggot specifically, you know, those are kind of problematic. And for me, what I try to do is I look at, is there a way we could come up with new language rather than try to overturn the baggage of the old language? or who benefits from people say stuff, you know, with the N word and rap music, I, what I really try to do is say, who's the producer, who's making the money at the end of the day, what is their background? Um, but it's something I'm evolving on. What about you? What is, what is something that you're working on? You know, I, I, if I can speak to that, I, I encounter that quite a bit. Uh, in terms of mm -hmm. in terms of language and, and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, and my rule of thumb is if it if if it is historically a a for example the N word that historically mm -hmm. is a despicable word. So I don't believe in reclaiming it. I don't believe in saying it. I don't I don't let it be said around me to me. So I I, I don't I don't I don't I can't get on board. I have never been able to get on board with that. I honestly yeah, and yeah. and I and I'm not of the LGBTQ community. Uh, but again, I still do not get on board with any type of um, possibly disparaging words that, that that some people may find offensive and some people may find alone. So, I, if since it's 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 a it's not a it's not a consensus like the word love, <laughs> I I, right, choose, right. I I choose not I choose not to participate in those types of those types of words because you don't know who you're gonna you don't you don't know who you're going to offend and things are situational yeah, yeah. they're about context and you need to be very careful you know when you say things to people. So I I mm -hmm. choose um. I, I choose not to participate in that type of language. It's a beautiful lexicon, the English language. There's so many other words mm -hmm. you can use. I don't believe in and and trying to so-called reclaim those horrible words. Yeah, and that's one of the, like I said, that's one of the things I'm working on. What is What are those things that you want to get better at or that you're in the process of changing? Well, what's interesting, I, of, of late, I have been invited into numerous conversations about uh, how white people in particular, actually white women in particular, can deal with white guilt. Mm. So I've been on a couple shows just discussing that. I was actually, I did a keynote a keynote address a few weeks ago. And after the the, the address, I sat down with a, with a group of women, uh, mostly white, white females. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, there was one question that was raised was, how do you, uh, oh, sorry, one person said, she talked about the fact that she loves to wear Indian attire. And and the Indian I don't I'm, I'm, I don't know the, all the all the correct verbiage but it's like the headgear the headwear, and um, yeah, yeah. So she was confronted by someone in in, in, the, in that culture and said you know why are you why are you uh, misappropriating my, my culture why are you wearing that mm -hmm. and you shouldn't be wearing that and so she shared that that incident in in this in the circle that we had, and um and she says well why can't I wear that I I don't understand that and so I I, I said to her and first of all I deferred to another um, woman of Indian descent <laughs> in my circle, because even though I was a so-called expert, I, I don't I don't believe that I'm going to be able to have the better answer than, than the person who actually is 
Indian <laughs> and who can who can right, offer right. who can who can offer her mm -hmm. own her own um, beliefs about you know how 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 it's tied to her culture. And that, that was her response that when when people wear certain things, it's it's actually not just oh haphazard oh da, 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 da. it's actually you you're wearing somebody's culture. And so it's a matter mm -hmm. of understanding that you're wearing somebody else's culture and that you and that you that you show respect to it. And this particular woman, I don't I don't I think she actually she was learned. She's learned it. She actually did research on it. She knew exactly what she was wearing. So I in that instance I thought, you know, I think I think it's beautiful. And and to other people, including the other Indian women that time, it was actually beautiful. Because you know, we we, we live in a multicultural society. And mm -hmm. diversity is, is is whether it's 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 um it's created or not. We're, we're, I, I love Chinese food. <laughs> so are you telling me I can't eat Chinese yeah, yeah. food? I, I, you know, I love Thai. I love Thai food. I love Indian food. So are you telling me that? So so where do we draw the line? So we draw the line at at headgear or, or versus food. So it's it's it, it creates a bit of a confusion, in terms of people can do what they can't do. But what I did ultimately say to her is, and to anybody, that if you are confronted by somebody and they say you shouldn't be doing that or you da 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 da. Uh, you you want to ask them? You know, you, can you can you explain to me, please? Why are you offended? Can you please show me or, or, or educate me on, on on what I can do differently? And and if they and then listen and be apologetic if necessary. But I also told them that um, if in the event that, that you that you offer your apology and you realize you did something wrong and that person still goes on, they berate you and, and they root you and they're abusive, which I've seen and we've talked about, uh, that's unacceptable. I, I just I think people can make mistakes. And mm -hmm. I, I often say that, you know, even people who kill people have their rights. They, they're, they're read their Miranda rights. They're, 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 they're innocent to proven guilty. They're, they're shown a, a measure of respect. So if somebody makes a mistake, then you know what? They shouldn't be kind of, you know, held out and, 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 and thrown out to, into the trash because they made a mistake. If you say your piece, you say, I apologize. If that person still continues on, then you realize, you know what? That's their issue. And you know what? I'm going to keep moving my direction. I said my piece. I'm going to forgive myself. That person clearly does not want to forgive me, and and you raised a, a, a significant word earlier about pain, because there are a lot of people who are in pain, and there are a lot of people who just want to kind of project their pain onto other people, and it's a matter of not letting people kind of make you feel really bad when when sometimes you're just well intentioned, uh, but also be cognizant of, of of the culture that you're that you're actually utilizing. Yeah, I think when it comes to the headdress stuff, it's it's complicated just because I see people use our culture but then i don't see him show up for it so it's kind of like um miley cyrus right she really appropriated black culture for a while there and then once she got the attention you know i don't see her standing for black lives matter i don't see her in spaces willing to sacrifice she only takes the benefits of a thing rather than pay the cost for stuff so when people wear headdresses i'm like well where were you for standing rock or how are you when it's time to suffer for my people, you know? Um, or headdresses can be only for specific people and it's like a thing of honor, not a fashion statement. So it just depends on situation and contest. And then with Native Americans, there's this idea of pan-Indianism, like we're all the same. Like there's 500 nations, 500 cultures. There's no way you can say this way is this way it works without talking to another tribe or culture and it means something completely different so it's so hard to just be like oh i talked to this one person from this one nation and they said it's okay whereas that headdress could have another meaning entirely but yeah i mean uh i'm all a fan of celebrating culture and i think uh 
doing it in that space with those folks is the safest space to do it. Uh, it just becomes problematic when you're doing it on your own without anybody else. But it, it's such an interesting conversation. If I, if I can share, I, I use the word consumption in this in this respect because mm-hmm. I've, I've talked about uh, an incident, I'll tell you quickly. I, when I first went to San Francisco and I was um, finishing my master's degree, I looked into a doctoral program, um, I'm not going to name the school, and I, I called up the graduate coordinator and told her over the phone uh, who I was and my interest at that time was the black males because of my teaching experience at, 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 at the other high school. And uh, I said, oh, I want, I, I want to look into black males and, and education. Oh, that's fantastic. You should come on down, um, meet with me on Monday at one o'clock in the afternoon, da, 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 fine. So mm-hmm. Rowdy, I showed up Monday Monday afternoon, and I knocked on the door, and the graduate coordinator opened the door, and she looked like she saw a ghost, and said to me, "Oh, um, who are you?" And I said, "Oh, my name is Dion." At that time, I was Dion Wright. I'm Dion Wright. I'm here. We spoke on the phone last week. Da da da. She goes, "Hold on a second. And then she shut the door. I waited about I waited about 15, 20 minutes. Then finally, she opened the door. And then she stood in the doorway and put her hand up on the on the on the on the, the edge and said, and then yeah. point and then pointed at me. So who are you again? And I said, again, Dion Colton or Dion Wright, da 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 da. She brought me inside her office that smelled of incense with African artifacts everywhere. And she said to me, she she walked me over to her desk and she pulled out a post-it note and said, um, here is the number for a better program for you um, that deals with minority students. And when you call them, make sure that you tell them you're black because you sound white over the phone. Wow. Yes. So needless to say, you never went there again. Yeah, so, so That's I- That's funny, I think, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying, so so that, so, so that in that respect, I, I, I use the word consumption because you know you, here you are, you're consuming my culture. You have African artifacts all over your office. Uh, and I later learned that she also enjoyed being with black men, but yet when it came time to help a black woman whose culture you are basically exploiting, you did that to her. And so, so to your point, and I agree with you, it, 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 it is situational, it's, it's contextual, and, and people need to be very careful. Like when you're in those kind of positions, you have to be very careful how you're abusing people's cultures and what you're doing to them. And I was so horrified. So more, I was, I was so, I was, I left there in tears. I was so angry and so surprised that that happened. So I just wanted to share that. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I have a friend who's got a PhD in history. He uh, wrote the pre-minute black history book here in Arizona. He uh, was getting a home loan and he called in and uh, they marked him on his application down as white. And so he called in and was like, why did you think I'm white? I'm black. And the guy's like, uh, 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 <laughs> but, uh, he's like, look, man, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to understand what happens because when I understand how this replicates, I can undo those things. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love it's that. Really interesting, right? right. Um, so the last question that I want to ask you is, so this work is hard work. It, it takes a lot out of you. Uh, and also I think, being a black woman that does this work, it's in particularly difficult because you're looking and you're, I think you're seen as like you're doing it for you or doing it for people like you. I think you're critiqued a lot more and harder. I think you be, you become a target. I think you have to deal with white fragility a lot. Um, why, 
why do this work? It takes a lot out of you. It, I think it probably ages us a little bit harder than uh, other work might. Um, but you must be called to it because it's difficult. What is your big why in this? I do it because I, I absolutely, despite the the challenges, uh, I, I, I love it. I, I, first of all, it, doesn't, it does not feel like work. I, I'm excited by it. I'm excited about the the human factor and and just and and having those moments that I described earlier where I have a breakthrough. It feels like I'm doing something greater than just my work. I I, I know that what I'm doing, even though I may not get re immediate results, because I've had people kind of um, email me five years later saying, you know what, Dion, now I understand what you're talking about because because life <laughs> taught them what I was trying to teach them at the moment. Uh, but I just I just. I don't know what else I would do if I didn't do this. I just, I absolutely, I love it and I adore, and I adore it. And I, that's, that's pretty much all I can say. I just, I just really enjoy it. And it, it's, it's been very rewarding. Is there anything that you do to manage your self care given that it can be as hard as it is? Oh, Roddy, I like to have fun. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I have fun when I'm not working. I'm having fun. I'm married and, and happily married with two kids. And we drove down to Rhode Island last week uh, for the day and then had dinner and, and hung around. And um, I love Zumba. I love to dance. I love to dance. I love to party with my friends. I, I make sure that I, I always have that uh, work life balance and and um, and just keep it in perspective as to, as to, as to, as to, to what I'm doing, even though I know this, this work is important and it's helping to combat what's been happening um, in our society. I, I do turn it off when I need to. And I make sure that I'm, 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 I'm making sure that I'm taking care of myself. And of course I'm, I'm a mother. So that also is very time consuming. And so I just, I just try to do the work-life balance as much as I can and just enjoy um, life. And uh, not to mention, I also I lost my parents too. That was a very sobering moment and made me realize, you know what? Yeah. Life's very short and I'm not going to spend it just um, dealing with uh, difficult people or, or whatever. I'm going to have fun regardless. Good. I'm glad to hear that. So you've been doing this since 2004 and it's 2018 now. So you're about 15 years almost into it. So how do you feel like this journey or this walk has made you a better person? How do you feel like you've used this as a form of like personal leadership? How do you think you've gotten better over time from doing this work? Um, I definitely, so in 2004, I created the workshop, but I actually started like in the, in the 90s because when I was teaching and, and, and I recognized very early when I was teaching the special education boys that I had to, I, and I was, I was teaching different classes and class levels. I knew, I knew at that point I was aware of diversity because I knew that I couldn't, for, for example, I could not grade a student who struggles with reading the same way as someone who was who was um skilled at reading so yeah so I, so at that point I, I kind of started very very early but to answer your question i've become more i think i've become more aware and i and and definitely less less judgmental at first i didn't necessarily understand what caused people to do what they did and i think that was actually that's actually an indicative of, of going back to school and, and learning about it that's why i was very curious which is why i went back to school and learned about it but i think definitely over time i i have become a lot more patient uh i have learned how to address matters properly and better i, I i'm not this perfect person mm -hmm. i will say that in back in the day i used to be very angry you call me you called me a nigger and i'll and i'll tell you off and that that did happen but now i know how to use my words and I know how to to address people better. So it's an ongoing process because people people will definitely challenge you, and they will definitely try to treat you badly, which which happens to me on a regular basis. 
because I'm I'm, yeah. pre-judged, I'm prejudged and, and 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 I'm not one to go around and say that I'm educated. I just I'm just who I am. And uh, you know, when once you do something, I'll I'll, I'll tell you, uh, you know, that you can't do that to me. You you, you can't say this and da da da. Uh, but it's, it's it's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing thing because it's it's difficult at times being a person of color and a woman. Yeah. And um, having to deal with uh, those two those two issues that um, sometimes are often seen as um, as, as deficits or or as um, uh, not necessarily not necessarily the, the 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 strongest characteristics of a person. Well, I admire you quite a bit. You uh, uh, have done a lot of work, and the fact that you're doing this work and living this life um, always means that uh, I'm more than willing to honor you as a co-professional. And, uh, you know, being a woman isn't easy in America. Being a black woman in America is less easy. And so uh, the fact that you're willing to do this work and work for equity means a lot. And so I really appreciate that. No, I was going to say, I appreciate you having me on today and, and, and having this this conversation. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very um, deep conversation. I, I love your questions. And uh, I love the fact that you that you that you that you go there and, and we're having a real meaningful conversation about this. So I appreciate your I appreciate you having me on and, and uh, engaging us in, in this conversation. Wonderful. So with that, I would like you to share where my audience could get a hold of you. If you could share your website, if you could share your social media your show, how they could get to the, the Dr. Colton show, share that stuff. Cause I'd love to make sure my audience can connect with you. Sure. Thank you so much. So my business name is Poulton Consulting Group. That's P-O-U-L-T-O-N consultinggroup.com. I'm, my radio show is called the Dr. Dion show. It's on iTunes. So you can just do a Google search and you'll, and you'll find me. I'm also on LinkedIn at Dr. Dion Poulton and also Instagram and uh, Facebook as well. So um, definitely you can, you can reach out and um, I'm, I'm happy to hear any, any feedback on, on what I've said today and, and I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Well, with that folks, that is gonna wrap up the Inclusive Activism Show with Dr. Dion Poulton. And if you have any questions about this, remember that you can call in to the voicemail or text line 860-576-9393. Again, that number is 860-576-9393. And you can get a hold of me at inclusiveactivism at cox.net. And you can learn more about me and this organization at inclusiveactivism.com. Thanks, and we'll see you in another couple weeks.